welcome to our podcast, COP26 and the Journey to Change, a podcast brought to you by Visit Scotland's business events team. COP26 is all about change, the vital and necessary change we need to make not just as individuals, but as communities, countries and continents, the global journey of change to address climate change and its impact. In this podcast, we will be discussing how the issues of change and sustainability affect the business events sector, and also how business events can help bring about the change that we need. We will be questioning what we can learn from COP26 and what our industry can do to change itself. And we'll be examining the COP26 programme themes, including energy, nature, youth and science, to find those crucial intersections where business events can make a difference and help achieve the outcomes of COP26 and the UN Sustainable Development Goals. At Visit Scotland, we believe that business events are more than just meetings. We believe business events can be catalysts for social and economic change. As Scotland welcomes COP26, we welcome you to our podcast. Stay tuned, follow for new updates and enjoy. Welcome everyone, the session's about to begin. Please take your seat and make yourself comfortable. Please ensure your tea and coffee is topped up and feel free to shut down your emails and enjoy the session. Today, we'll be discussing Ambassadors for Change, engaging business events ambassadors in a post-pandemic world. To help us in our discussions, we are delighted to be joined by Amanda Ferguson, Head of Business Development, Accommodation, Catering and Events at the University of Edinburgh, and Gordon Hodge, Head of Conferencing and Events at the University of Strathclyde. And today's guest host is Fiona McKinnon. Huge welcome to both Amanda and Gordon today and to all our listeners. Thank you for tuning in. So today we'll be discussing how the universities work with business events ambassadors and actually what an academic ambassador is, the role of educational institutes in this post-pandemic world and the renewed appreciation of knowledge sharing and upskilling. So for the benefit of our listeners Amanda, I'm going to start with you. Can you tell us a bit more about your role at the university and what an ambassador is to you? Hi, Fiona. Thank you very much for inviting me along today. It's great to be here. Um, My role at the University of Edinburgh is I'm head of business development within Edinburgh First, which is the hospitality and events collection for the university. So we have over 70 venues across the entire university estate and also have a range of accommodation, uh, including four hotels, and then obviously the more traditional student-type accommodation halls of residences, etc. So I'm specifically, and my team, we are tasked with generating revenue and maximising the profitability of the venues and the commercial um, hotel accommodation um, on site. In terms of university business event uh, ambassadors and who we work with, This is a very long established sort of concept within our industry and convention bureaus have traditionally really driven that concept and developed quite extensive ambassador programs as they would be called. And typically they are 
academic experts, specialists within their field who are recognised um, by their peers, whether that's nationally or internationally, as being very active and very well highly regarded within their field. And we work with them to support them to bring conferences into our cities and into our venues. Yeah, in a mm. nutshell, that's really what an ambassador is. Okay, and that's a huge estate you're looking after. That's a lot of marketing, a lot of selling. Uh, it is indeed, but uh, I do focus down on, onto some key properties, namely uh, conference centres and mm. some of the sort of more iconic historic venues that really are very high profile. And then depending on the complexities uh, and the, the requirements of specific academic conferences, it gives us that flexibility to be able to mm. um, provide venue solutions. So um, I'm not promoting all 74 of them <laughs> at <laughs> one particular time, but focusing in on, on key centres like the, the John McIntyre Conference Centre um, on the Pollock Estate. You have a match for every conference, basically. Absolutely. Pretty much, yes. which, is, which is a great position to be in. Yes. And Gordon, over in University of Strathclyde, you equally have a large estate campus. Tell us about more about your own role and what, what an ambassador is to you. Yeah, um, so I am Head of Conferencing and Events at the University of Strathclyde, which is right in the centre of Glasgow, just to the east of the city centre. And I was listening to Amanda there. So university events teams, their role differs from institution to institution. So um, we, we don't sell the, the same volume of it, obviously, in the same way that Amanda does. Um, but what our team does do as well, so we, we have a, a dedicated conferencing facility within our technology and innovation centre, which is the university's world-class research hub. And there are conferencing facilities within there for up to 600, because that's what, in normal times, what we would be able to accommodate in the Technology and Innovation Centre. And then during vacation time, we would occasionally have a larger conference that would spill out into the teaching accommodation on the campus. Um, we also have the Barony Hall, which is our kind of ceremonial hall, um, which we do occasionally have access to for things like gala dinners, presents, receptions, that kind of thing. We also look after the university's corporate events as well. So anything really that involves the senior officers, anything that involves kind of inwards ministerial visits, VIP visits, donor visits, that kind of thing. Our team looks after that. And we also look after the graduations process, not the kind of registration and results part, but we deliver all of the ceremonial aspects. And we look after the honorary degree process all the way from nomination through to confirming and communicating with them um, during that process. So that's what our team does. We have this amazing dedicated conferencing facility, which we have been operating since 2015. We're very, very lucky. And I guess there are similarities with Edinburgh First in that they have the John Mack Conference Centre and there aren't really that many universities within Scotland that have dedicated space that they can sell all year round. So we're lucky in that respect. In terms of what a business ambassador is for us, I mean, I don't know that I have a huge amount to add to what Amanda said. I suppose I was just thinking about it. So we work really, really closely with the Glasgow Convention Bureau, you know, who work with the other two universities in Glasgow and with UWS out in Paisley as well. And I suppose it's this, it's almost this kind of, it's like a triangle sometimes. Sometimes the the academic ambassador will come to us and say, I would really like to bid for this event. And we give them some information and then we connect them with the Convention Bureau to put the city cell together. Sometimes we will have done an event and they'll say, oh, yeah, actually, I, I am a member of an association. I could bid to bring that to Glasgow. And sometimes it will be the Convention Bureau proactively coming to us and saying, 
we would like to talk to this person in this department about this thing because we think there's a great opportunity to bring this to the city based on the research that we've done. So there's this really healthy kind of triangulation. It's giving the country, the city, the institution the best possible chance of bringing some kind of event that showcases our expertise and our contribution to that particular discipline. And it's a really, I don't know, like a really authentic way to do it. It's a, it's a really, it, it doesn't really, it is selling, but it doesn't feel like selling. It's it's helping join different parts of a puzzle together that don't always necessarily come naturally together. You have to do a little bit of work to get them together, but then when they are put together, they can be really, really powerful agents for change, not just for the event itself, but for what that discipline is able to do afterwards and what the city and the country is able to do in terms of events and that kind of thing afterwards. I love your triangle analogy. That's actually such a good description of how it works. That's very smart. And also, you're very, you're so right. It is when each element is pulled together, that's where the magic and the power happens. And that's when the change can happen. And we're all on this journey to change, particularly in our post-pandemic world. Um, so thank you both for that. That kind of leads us on to, although Gordon, you've touched on this um, with the answer you've just given. So if I asked you to to tell us more about actually how you work with the business events ambassadors um, and how do you think it's likely to change post-pandemic? Obviously, pre-2020, we all worked in a certain way. The ambassador programmes have been running in each city for many, many years. And we have long, everybody has long relationships with academics in different fields across many different sectors. Then everything stopped and we all went into this massive pause. How do you feel it's going to work once we come out of it? We're still coming out of it. We're not quite there yet. How does it currently work for you and how do you think it will work going forward? And I'm going to put that to you, Gordon, first. That's good because I had some ideas in my head and I thought I won't remember them for too long. Um, <laughs> that worked I out think, well then. <laughs> so I was thinking, as you said in your, when you were framing it in the question there, they, the, you know, they are long relationships, the relationships that we have with ambassadors. Um, and I, th- I do think it's a bit of a long game. It's a, it's a really, really effective way to build relationships and to bring business to your university, your city, your country. But they are long relationships. And I think post-pandemic, from their perspective, it's about asking. It's about asking for advice. It's about asking, what, like, what what is possible? What is realistic? Should I bid for this event? Is it you know? Can you give me some advice about what is happening in the industry so that I can make an informed decision about whether or not I want to go ahead with this or whether I want to stand back at the moment? And I suppose my view would be that our role is to give our academic colleagues good advice. And that advice does not always lead to a sale. It does not always lead to an event immediately. You know, it might it might lead to, to a smaller seminar or business meeting or whatever. And that's a sprat to catch a macro. The big conference might be some way down the line. And it not it might not come to us. It might go to the SEC. And that's fine because our job is to give them good advice and to help them feel confident and to help them understand that when they are ready to move with something, they can come to us and ask. And if we don't have the answer, we can refer them to the Convention Bureau or we can say, actually, we're probably not best placed to help you with this, but I'm going to introduce you to somebody who can. And I, I was thinking about this in, you know, in, my, in my prep for this podcast. I feel that our role post-pandemic is to kind of share the love a bit. So it's not necessarily about keeping an event 
on the campus. It's about understanding how can we put people together so that we can deliver the best possible event for this academic, for this research group, for this um, discipline, for this association, for the city. Who can we work with to make sure that this event is as well delivered as it can be? Because that is the way that we, we're going to get more business back to the university. That is the way that they're going to recruit more students, more researchers, you know, they're, they're going to have more influence with that association. And that ultimately is the way that we're going to be able to bring more events to Glasgow, to central Scotland, to Scotland as a whole, because people mm-hmm. come because they trust us to, to work together to deliver yeah. the best possible event that we can for them. And I think that's a responsibility that we have post-pandemic. Yeah, I would totally agree. And the word trust is the key one, that you're a trusted source um, that you're not just looking to make, um, it's not a very nice phrase, but a quick buck out of somebody, yeah. that it's actually, it's long-term and it's about what's the right thing to do for the bigger picture. If this immediate opportunity does not work out, they will come back because yeah. they know that we will give them uh, the advice that they're looking for to take them forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's a long game yeah, and you can't necessarily tell in advance what the rewards are going to look like or exactly what form they're going to come in. And the same question to yourself, Amanda, or do you have anything you want to add to that? Uh, I would absolutely concur with what Gordon has said and what in particular resonated with me was uh, the comment about it providing advice, almost impartial advice. And um, you mentioned that strong collaboration that there is in, in Glasgow, Gordon, with the Convention Bureau, and that actually, if you're working with an ambassador and you realise that you don't have the capacity for it, that you share that with um, other colleagues across the city um, in, in other venues. And I think here in Edinburgh, that's something that's probably even more important for us as the university um, in the absence of a, of a functioning Convention Bureau is that we have the trust of our academics, we are their colleagues. And so it is it's only natural that they turn to us for this support. And it would be very myopic of us to then turn them away and say, no, we can't do that because mm-hmm. it's larger than what we can host. That, that would be myopic and irresponsible, really, for, for the industry and for those long-term relationships. So of course, I mean that that approach where you need to be sharing that intel and um, advising them where else they can go in the city or indeed Scotland um, to host those events um, is really important and not to be precious about, oh no, this is my lead. And and I think that comes back to your point, Gordon, about this isn't a hard sell. Uh, this is about ultimately doing something that is beyond th- that economic impact of what that revenue is worth to the venue. It's, it's about profiling what the business event is actually about. It's about raising their profile in the field, about them sharing their their knowledge, the intelligence and the research that they'd be driving forward with their peers. And that in itself drives forward further learnings and progress. So mm-hmm. I think that was something that certainly that resonated with me. I, I think one point, just coming back to the role of the ambassador, that I think hasn't been touched on yet is in terms of, obviously we support them and encourage them to, to bring conferences to the city and to Scotland, but also we work with them. They advocate for us and for the sector. And again, I think this comes back to that long-term relationship that you were mentioning, Gordon. This is a long-term industry. You can have lead times. You can have like a 
a conference that's only held once every four years. So you've got lead times that might be eight, 12 Uh years away. And very much we need to work hand in hand with our academics to make them realise that it's beyond them. Their impact isn't just what they're doing right now. They are setting the um, foundations for future research. These research centres, they want to have longevity. It's not about one single academic. So we work quite closely with them in almost nurturing that next generation with early career academics. Mm -hmm. So helping them get involved um, with some smaller events, for example, or helping them bid for for smaller conferences Mm -hmm. so that they get exposure to this and and understand how conferences and business events can help raise their academic profile and further drive forward their research. Uh Excellent. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And that leads us very neatly onto the next question, which you've both been touching on anyway. So both universities have very specialist centres. So, for example, the Edinburgh Climate Change Institute is based in Edinburgh here. Both universities are doing groundbreaking research projects that benefit not just Scotland, but globally, the wider world. Within both of your universities, um, are there any examples that you think are worth highlighting of work that's being done? Amanda, I'll ask that of you first, just because of the example of the climate change one. <laughs> you don't have to know about that one, but um, just any one that you've been working with or that you know of. Yeah, I, I mean, I was looking at the Climate Change Centre um, before coming on the podcast today, and, and I'm not a specialist in this particular field. But what I think struck me as, as being very interesting about this research centre. And actually, this has played out across all research centres. It's not just about having an ivory tower where we Mm -hmm. do research for research sake and publish a paper and Bob's your uncle. It drives forward someone's career or something. Um, It is actually very much tied into that connection with society, with industry and with government with the public sector. So in terms of helping inform policy, be that within Scotland or at at an international level, engaging with businesses, but also then at a very practical level, offering training and skill development workshops for organisations who actually want to take some of those academic findings and apply it in a more tangible sense. So I think Mm -hmm. that for me, in terms of that particular research centre, why it is so successful is it's not just about the research piece, it's the engagement and translating that into real life and Mm -hmm. how that affects real change in policy and in people's behaviours. Fantastic. A very good answer. And over to you, Gordon. No pressure. Uh, yeah. So that's I was I, I was going to kind of start with what Amanda said, so that you know, working with uh, with government, with public sector, with with the third sector, with academia, uh, other you know academic partners, which is quite often described as the triple helix approach. It's certainly how our principal talks about it. So we. Our research, the way that we try to talk about our research at Strathclyde is in, in these clusters that we have, these research clusters that they have, which are focused on research capability and innovation. And the idea is that, as Amanda suggested there at Edinburgh, they bring together expertise from a range of different disciplines. So they might take in health, engineering, life sciences, social sciences, and they consider that big picture and they look at holistic approaches and solutions because it should it should have an impact in society. It should have an impact on day-to-day life. So there are six clusters. Um, so there's 5G communications, and that is led by our Department of Electric and Electronic, Electric and Electronic 
electronic and electrical engineering. Not I mean, it's, to see. it's only the principal's department, so I'm only going to get my daughter's, never mind. <laughs> uh, but we have Scotland's 5G centre based in, in the Technology Innovation Centre as well. We have um, a fintech cluster, and that would kind of be based around our business school, and it's led by an academic called Daniel Broby. Health tech, which is really, really big for us. Uh, we, have, we don't have a medical school, but we do have the Centre for Health and Care Futures, which is all kind of around data. We have the Digital Health Innovation Centre, and then that leads into things like bio-nanotechnology and metrology, which is about disease detection using chemical processes. CMAC, which is the Centre for Continuous Manufacturing Crystallisation. So that's about future um, pharmaceutical and medicines manufacture. And they, we have this new uh, Medicine Manufacture Innovation Centre, which will be based out at the National Manufacturing Institute for Scotland, which is out in Renfrewshire and which we're the academic lead. So there are all kinds of things like that. The other the other clusters I should mention them are industrial informatics, quantum and space as well. We have two innovation districts. So we've got um, AMIDS, which is the Advanced um, Manufacturing Innovation District. That's out in Renfrew by the airport. And our partners in that are the Scottish Government, Scottish Enterprise and Renfrewshire Council. And then we have the Glasgow City Innovation District, which is the first innovation district in Scotland and that's right in the heart of the city technology and innovation centre is the is the anchor for that I was looking for a kind of practical example for you so I had a wee look through our news stories and there's a really good one which is uh, a lady called Gronya Elmuntasser who's uh, an academic in our civil and environmental engineering department so she is working on the impact that fungi can have on preventing landslips because it's um they strengthen soil and they reduce the infiltration of rainwater. And that just kind of stuck out to me as a really practical example of something of, of an impact that climate change is having in Scotland. So, for example, the work that Gronia is doing possibly will have an impact on the solutions that they find in the rest and be thankful, for example. So how do we make sure that that road stays open all of the time? And, you know, that's just I just found that as an example of you know, that, that's one researcher in one department. It's, it's incredible. And I always think that one of the great things about the job that we do is that what we do on a day-to-day basis doesn't change people's lives, really. We help people where we can, we make them happy, but they're doing work that sometimes really can change people's lives on a day-to-day basis. Yes. And that's a really great, that's yeah. a really privileged place to be, I think. Totally. But they need our skills too, Gordon. And you are a fun guy. <laughs> they, they, oh, God. Oh, back of the class, Fiona McKinnon. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> right, back to business. Uh, thank you both very much. And both universities have fantastic research units doing amazing work. And I think the key thing that both of you have said, it's the collaboration with outside bodies, out with the universities as well, that makes it all happen. And that's the part that we play some of those introductions to people. The lunch bell's about to go. Let's all head for lunch and we'll come back to session later. anticipated time is here. The time for our lunch break. Please respect each other and don't skip the queue. See everyone back soon. We're off mic now. Uh, Thank you both very much. We'll go back in in a minute. Uh, Lunch is just over here. So I was going to ask you both actually while, while we're off mic, 
What events are you going to be attending in the next few months? Amanda, what about you? Have you got anything coming up? Oh, good. Well, I'm just back from the meeting show in London, which is one of our, for those in the industry will know, it's one of the leading UK business events, trade shows. And it's the first one since, what, 2012, pre-pandemic. So that was, uh, it was better than I could ever actually have hoped for. I think there's been a, a really newfound confidence, even just in the last three, four weeks, within the UK uh, and there was some really positive conversations having being had about future conferences um, further into the pipeline 23, 24 which Mm -hmm. is great because you know one of the big focuses is obviously on rebuilding that pipeline of conferences into the future it's been so disrupted in the last 18 months but in terms of what else I have planned for the rest of 2021 I don't actually think I have any other events confirmed. And I think that is quite indicative of the market is things yeah. are very last minute at the, at the minute. And we're mm-hmm. seeing that also in the types of inquiries that we're getting is suddenly people mm-hmm. are gaining that confidence of actually we can hold a meeting. So let's hold it next week where um, yeah. normally I would have something booked in between now and Christmas. It's sort of uh, an empty diary at the minute. So if anyone's got any interesting insights, please <laughs> let me know. <laughs> we'll let you know. Gordon, what about you? What's in the diary? What's coming up? I mean, I would if just anything. Ag- I would agree with Amanda's last point there. So I, as I was saying before we before we started, I'm just back from two weeks leave. And, we, you know, we're used to seeing the diary, you know, empty really for the past 18 months. And I've come back and there's all this stuff in the diary. And you know, don't get me wrong, it's not it's not big things, but there are a load of things in there for 20, 30, 50 people that weren't there two weeks ago. So I think Amanda is absolutely right. It's people having the confidence to say, that thing that we thought we were going to do online, we can do it in person. In terms of what I am going to, um, well, I don't know, but we have this conference coming to Glasgow called COP26. Really? Um, and that, for, ev- for everybody in Glasgow, I mean, literally the only thing you can think about is we've got COP26 here. So it's, it's, it, I would say, and you know, I know it's not just in Glasgow either, I know there are plenty, plenty of businesses across the central belt, and then when you look at suppliers as well, right across the country, but it's really heads down. It's the same kind of story with COP26, actually, it's people confirming how many people are actually going to come and what the requirements are quite close to the yeah. wire because they simply don't know yet. Um, yeah. and, so, and so that is a big piece of work. So really the focus at the moment is on delivering the business that we've got, which through those you know that kind of two three week periods in november is really substantial and would be substantial in any year so it's really exactly heads down make sure that we do the best possible job that we can of that business and then look at the lessons uh, that we've learned uh, and and (laughs) look forward to 2022 and then go and lie in a darkened room for the whole of december And what's your favourite memory from attending an event? I would say that's in the old days or BC before COVID. Amanda, what's your favourite memory? Oh my goodness. We've all been to many events over the years. Uh, Have you got uh, a standout? A standout moment? Hmm. You've really stumped me there, (laughs) Fiona. I'm trying to dredge back into my memory to think of what was it like when I attended um, (laughs) in-person events. And at the minute, it's just sort of a complete melee of, of lots of different memories. Or is there a place that you've most that's been a big highlight for somewhere you've been to over the years? It is always the trade shows for me, mm-hmm. and that to me is the true marketplace for us. And it's that in-person connection that is where you see the suppliers, you see the buyers, and they come together. And it, it happens mm-hmm. three or four times a year. And it, you say the highlights, and I, and I just 
I just see a sea of faces <laughs> as everyone heads into IMEX in Frankfurt mm -hmm. um, or IBTM or, or whichever city it's being held in um, the, the trade show. And those to me are, are like little images that I hold on to of where we will get back to. Uh, and we had a taste of that last week uh, at the meeting show. That was, yeah, reminded me so strongly of those positive experiences in the past. Mm -hmm. And you're right, it's where the connections are made. It's where we all meet each other, suppliers, clients, and you get to you know each other and you meet people you've known for years on all sides. It is it is magical. And it has been a big miss. Gordon, what about you? What's your favourite memory from an event that you've been to or a place that you've been to? I Actually, I think I would agree with Amanda. Now, we're, we're a considerably smaller venue than Edinburgh First. And as we've already said, we're really lucky to be represented by Glasgow Convention Bureau at this kind of thing. So to some extent, you know, some big, we wouldn't go to something like IBTM because we know the Convention Bureau are there doing the job for us. But still, when we have attended things like the meeting show or a long time ago, well, I haven't been for a long time, but Convex, it's when you're on stand together and it's those other stand partners and you get to meet people, you know, because you would generally know quite a lot of the people from the businesses in your area, but you don't necessarily, you know, in Glasgow, there isn't really any reason for us to know people from Glen Eagles or a venue in Aberdeen or whatever. So it's that sense of being on a stand and being able to sell Scotland being able to sell an experience, being able to, you know, if you're quiet and someone else has, has got an appointment, being able to say, oh, they're not here right now, but to be able to go, do you know what, I will, you know, I'll scan your badge and I will pass that contact mm -hmm. onto them. It's nice to feel that you're you're part of something bigger. I think that's really, yeah. really nice. Team, uh, team Scotland's I, a good I, thing. Yeah, and, and what you, you're right, you, you know, you build these relationships and maybe you don't see somebody for another two or three years, but then you do see them again. And especially, you know, if you've gone out for a drink or some dinner or something once you've been on the stand and, you know, I, and this is where we where we build the relationships that, that make Scotland's business events industry so strong and so connected and that has an impact on the experience that people have because there is always somebody you can ask or refer to if, yeah. if you're not the right person or you don't have what it is that someone's looking for and I, and I would say that those are the most memorable things from events for me. Mm. Oh, yeah, you're, among, you're among kindred spirits, I would yeah. completely concur Gordon and it doesn't matter how busy or stressful your your home job is is you go to a trade show and you have to perform. Uh, you only have that window of opportunity to do that. And you're amongst kindred spirits who are all doing the same thing and you're all pulling in the same direction. And I've really missed that in 18 months. And that's actually what the industry and every, every industry missed is having mm -hmm. those peers in your network to support you where you all yeah. go, my goodness, how terrible was that? How did you solve that? <laughs> we had the opportunity mm -hmm. to, to benchmark or just query, we tried this, that didn't work. What did you find? How did you find that? And mm -hmm. that has been sorely missed, I think, uh, mm -hmm. across our industry um, during the pandemic. So um, I'm looking forward to more of that uh, in 2022. Great. Well, that's lunch finished. That was a very nice non-meat starter. Didn't you like it? <laughs> Delicious. Right, we better head back into session. I hear the panellists are really good. Oof. The next session is about to begin. Please make your way back to the auditorium. So more of a, a quick fire round for this one. Thinking about the events that you host in your venues, 
why do organisations host their events with you? Amanda first. First off is the, the prestige uh, of holding an event within the University of Edinburgh. It's a globally renowned brand, part of the Russell Group. Um, so certainly hosting an event at the University of, of Edinburgh in one of our venues elevates it to that sort of standing um, in, in, yeah, in terms of the prestige. I think it's the first thing that jumps out. And I guess connected to that is then an understanding that that opens up a network of world-class academics and, and researchers within that field. So that the university's knowledge and expertise are part of that main selling point for you. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. And Gordon, same question to yourself. I think, yeah. So, I mean, quite a lot of the events that we host would be related in some way to research that's ongoing at the university or would be hosted by a partner organisation of the university as well. But even if it's not, I think Amanda's right. I think, so say somebody wants to do an event on pharmaceutical manufacture and they come around on a site visit and you can say, actually, there is research going on on pharmaceutical manufacture in this building. So that adds something to your event. Amanda was talking about the prestige of, of being at Edinburgh. It's slightly different for us, but it has the same impact. It's, there's a resonance here of hosting your event in this venue that you're not going to get. You can go to the nicest hotel in the city, but you're not. It's, it's going to be another hotel. If you host it here, there is something different about that event. There is something it adds. I'm not saying it necessarily adds gravitas, but it adds something to your event that isn't there otherwise. And what we would hope is that that helps to strengthen relationships that are there already or that somehow it encourages relationships to happen because, you know, an academic walks through and goes, what is this that's happening today? Tell me more about that. And so we're simply by having this conference centre in the middle of the university, we're putting people in front of one another who otherwise might not be in front of one another. We're bringing people yeah. onto a campus who might not otherwise be there. And I'm sure the same mm -hmm. is true, particularly of the John Matt Conference Centre at Edinburgh as well. People who would not normally cross the threshold of a university campus do. And that opens up new opportunities for relationships for the people who are hosting the event and for, and for the university as well. Um, Obviously, we're right in the heart of the city, and that makes a big difference for a modern venue. I would, I suppose what I would say is what we try to make the point of difference is that we really try to have a genuine relationship with the customers from, from the point of inquiry right through to the point where we say goodbye to them. And we hope that what stands out for them and what brings them back as well is the fact that we were able to build a genuine relationship with them and, and they felt like they were being looked after and given good advice the whole way through. And I'm absolutely certain that the same is true of Amanda's team at Edinburgh first. Our hospitality is pretty good right yeah. across the country. And yes, I would say up for, for both venues. Thank you both very much. You'll be delighted to hear we're on to our final question. <laughs> <laughs> so through the last um, probably 18 months, upskilling and knowledge sharing has become very important to all of us. We've all had to learn, well, one, to work, work from home from a start. But in terms of business, is this something you expect to continue for the foreseeable future? We'll have to keep learning how to do things differently. Or do you believe that more organisers will opt for educational institutions to host events in the future so that they can incorporate expert knowledge from the academics? Do you see that as a growing trend for the future, given what we've all just gone through? And I'm going to start with Gordon on that one. In terms of us upskilling and knowledge sharing, I mean, clearly it's going to continue. Um, you know, innovation doesn't stop, even though we might think my brain does not have room for any more... <sighs> 
it's hard and you know people talk about hybrid events but really the number of hybrid of events that have happened anywhere in the world is still really quite small because there hasn't been the opportunity to do them so we might feel like we know a lot about them but there's still an awful lot to learn about them and and it's going to take delivering this different style of events to understand what works and what doesn't and that will vary from event to event it will vary from client to client and it will vary from venue to venue and we just have to understand what it is that we do well what it is that our customers want and you know that journey is going to continue and expectations will continue to change and we just have to try and keep up with that um in terms of people looking for expert knowledge from academics i, I guess it depends on what the theme of the event is mm-hmm. certainly you know it's, it's not uncommon for somebody to, for a client to say is there any could you connect me with anybody at the university who can talk to that topic I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Mm-hmm. I suppose we are maybe slightly disconnected from, you know, you, you would have a, academics being asked to contribute at an event happens completely separately to, to kind of what Amanda and I do. So you might have, yes. you know, you might find that there are pe- people from your institution speaking at an event in your venue and you only know when you see a copy of the programme because the relationships exist completely out with the event. Yeah. No, that's fair enough. And same question to Amanda. Uh, an interesting point, Gordon, that you raised there at the end, just around um, it, do we anticipate a further increase um, in demand for involvement from academics in conferences coming in? And I think that's, I think it would be logical to, to assume that. I, I think the position of academics has, their profile has been really raised in a very general sense over the past 18 months and during the global pandemic where we have seen academics who historically would have been working away in the background and had no public profile beyond their own field on a, on a, a global stage, certainly on a national stage and on our televisions every night of the week, supporting government and very clearly helping inform the, the policies that are being implemented to, to keep us all safe. So I think there is a greater awareness of what academics do and how that impacts our lives. So that in itself, I think, may may generate more interest in having some academics contribute to these conferences. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the sort of upskilling side and, and hybrid meetings, I, I think that is something that I would agree with you, Gordon. We have to see how this plays out and some things will work and some things don't. And we only learn that as an industry by doing it. And I'm really hungry to, to go and take every opportunity to attend these hybrid meetings or virtual meetings or whatever that the format is to understand how the technology works, but also the human behaviour. And I think it's the human behaviour bit that I'm more interested in, because ultimately, I think that's where if you ask delegates where the one of the big reasons for them attending conferences in person is that networking element, the yeah. opportunity to connect with people. And we've all learned in the last 18 months how to become more comfortable with things like Zoom calls. Mm. You know, dial it back to March 2020. And I think everybody <laughs> was appalled at the thought of I'm going to have to do a meeting. And there's a, a live video feed of me in the bottom right hand corner. Hi, <laughs> oh, in heaven's name, is this going to work? But actually, that is completely second nature now. And we don't recognize that we have gained that skill just by doing. And 
what springs to mind is I attended a, a panel event. It was back in August, actually. It must have been one of the first sort of live events post-lockdown that happened in Edinburgh. And it was a, a, a hybrid panel event with two panellists in person in the room and then two panellists dialing in from overseas, which for me wasn't completely brand new. I guess conferences pre-COVID possibly would have done that maybe with one panellist, but they wouldn't necessarily have had an interactive panel discussion. And in terms of the human behaviour and what I think the skill needs to be learnt is is the moderator and the role of that facilitator was very, very interesting. They actually employed a professional broadcaster. It was broadcast quality. And that was someone who was trained to talk to camera, not to the person in the room yeah. uh, who might only yeah. be one of 50 people. And she played such a pivotal role in actually facilitating that session so that each panellist was involved in the conversation and engaged with everyone back and forth. And that really facilitated it. And I think it brought home to me is we can put all the technology in place, but actually then you can't just have your your normal person, oh, they can they can do the moderating for us today. It's actually we are all going to need to learn mm-hmm. new those, ways of behaving. Yeah. I agree, Amanda. I think even when it's even with completely online events, you see the difference that having a really great switched on moderator whose role is to moderate who doesn't necessarily have that much knowledge about what's being talked about but who knows how to connect people with one another I think that's really important and I think when you've got delegates who are joining virtually who are maybe on that platform for the first time who are able to explain in a very clear but friendly way this is what I'm asking you to do next. This is how you're going to get the best out of this experience. Because otherwise what happens is you just end up with a load of people going, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to check my email. And that's really difficult. But I think a really great moderator can get you over those humps and and can go, do you know what? I'm going to make a cup of tea, but I'm going to come straight back because this is interesting. She's keeping me engaged. Interesting. Food for thought for us all. Thanks so much to you both for sharing your observations and your thoughts. I certainly found that fascinating and I'm sure our listeners will too. This brings our session to a close. We hope you've enjoyed it and will join us again next time when we'll be discussing opening of negotiations. Thank you for attending today's session. See you soon.